beloved, welcome to My Strength and My Shield, a podcast about spiritual and self-care. My name is Nisi, and this is episode 31, The Hunt for a Therapist. Thank you for tuning in. I'm getting back into the groove of bi-weekly episodes, and that seems to be working. It allows for you guys to get caught up on the previous episodes and gives those of you who want to reach out to me a chance to do so in between episodes. I love being able to produce this podcast for you guys, and this week's episode is very on time for me, and I hope it's on time for you as well. If you haven't done so already, please go ahead and rate this podcast five stars on iTunes and leave a comment. You guys are so amazing and encouraging, and I love reading each and every comment. Leaving a comment and rating this podcast helps it to grow and reach more people, more people who want to have a conversation about spiritual and emotional wellness without judgment in an open and honest way. Now, before we jump into the main topic, I want to talk briefly with you about how important it is to take care of yourself and to invest time in your health. Recently, I found myself under the weather. I was congested and suffering from migraines. I had recently taken a trip to Miami, which was amazing, and then coming back to New York, the next day when I was going to work, I was insanely congested. I had to really take a step back and look at how I was taking care of myself. I know a lot of people think about weight loss as the main way of being healthy. Like when we think about health goals, it's often tied to our weight. And that makes sense. You know, we live in a society where we're sold the image of the perfect body as the example of health. So we spend money trying to achieve that body. I want to encourage you to take care of your body. I have been doing research for myself on healthy ways to eat and even supplements. You know, I've been in the process of supplementing my current diet with minerals, something that is often not even talked about when we're talking about health. In November, if you don't know, I had emergency gallbladder removal surgery, and I am just now learning how to take care of this new body, this new body, this new way that I process and digest foods without a gallbladder. I've started eating a new diet designed to help increase my energy and decrease my stress and also get me to a healthy weight, which if you want more info on that, I'll, you know, reach out to me. I'll talk to you about it. Don't want to talk about it on the podcast because this isn't a diet podcast. So if you want to talk more about this new way that I'm eating, I'll be happy to share in that regard. Um, But I've been, you know, in the process of increasing things like my potassium, my magnesium, um, vitamin D, B12, and K, specifically B12 in terms of helping manage my mood, especially in this winter month where everyone is being affected by seasonal affective disorder or, you know, the winter blues and people are more prone to depression when it's cold outside. But more than anything, I've been improving my sleep. I'm realizing that there's a difference between sleeping in large amounts in the past because I was depressed versus intentionally sleeping a lot as a way to help prevent that depression. I've been aiming to get at least nine hours of sleep, sometimes going even more than that. And I've been doing that for um, close, like over a week, close to two weeks. I have more focus, more clarity, more emotional stability, more control of my stress. And I find that when I was depressed and I was sleeping a lot, it was a way to avoid my problems or just because I was exhausted by life. But now intentionally sleeping is a way to give me more energy to tackle those problems. And it's also helping me to see that a lot of those huge problems, those problems that I thought were mountains, are more small hills that I have to get over. And I believe that my sleep is helping with that. So that's just me encouraging you to invest in your health do some research on the vital vitamins and minerals that you need focus on your health more than just your weight i know that it's january and everyone is hashtag new year new me people trying to get snatched people trying to get ready for the summer that's all well and good but also look at your hair your nails your skin even the color of your eyes and your toenails because those are ways that our bodies are designed to let you know when something is wrong you have to pay attention. I know for me specifically, I've been suffering with eczema since I was a kid, and I learned about ways to tweak my diet, and I haven't had eczema in over a year and a half simply by the ways that I've been able to deal with the way that I've eaten, and it's really had a positive impact on the quality of my skin. 
I'm even noticing it having a good impact on my hyperpigmentation that I have on my face. But that's a whole different thing because I also have like a 10-step skincare routine. So it might be that or it might be the way that I eat or just the way that I'm marrying the two things. So just wanted to put that out there. I'm in the process of doing more research. We're on the internet all the time. Why not take some time to do some research on the things that our body needs more than just losing weight and also just talking about adding things to our diet to make us healthier. So we're jumping into the topic this week, which is, like I said, very on time for me. This conversation will be helpful to those of us who are looking for therapists or even for those of us who are not looking for therapists but maybe have people in our lives that are doing so and we want to help them on our path and give ourselves the language to talk about therapy in a way. So it's a little bit of everything for everyone. That being said, let's close our eyes and surrender ourselves to God in prayer before we dive into today's topics. Dear Lord, thank you so much for giving us an opportunity to come here and have this conversation. Thank you for giving us a sound mind and body so that we can have these conversations about the ways to improve our lives. I pray that we come to this conversation without any judgment. A main reason that I started this podcast is because I wanted to have conversations about mental health and about therapy. And whatever I can do to let go of some of these stigmas, some of the reasons that we don't get the help that we need, whether it's because we feel bad about the mental health that we have, we feel judged, we feel that stigma, or maybe culturally we're told not to talk about these things. I pray that this conversation helps us to let go of those shackles because not dealing with our mental health, not taking care of ourselves decreases our quality of life because we're always gonna have struggles. We know that as Christians, we can't pray away all of the issues we have in our life. We know that prayer is important because it gets us closer to you, that prayer helps us to build a relationship with you, but you are not a genie. And there's no way that we will just be able to pray all of our issues away. Sometimes we'll need help. Sometimes we need to ask for some help. And sometimes we need to put ourselves in the best positions to be successful. And sometimes that means talking to our doctors and our therapists so that we can get a better quality of life. I pray that whoever's listening to this podcast can begin to do the work of prioritizing their mental health. I pray that they don't let anybody, any stigma, anything get in the way of taking care of themselves. And I know that there are some people that don't have the resources for therapy. But I pray that we can have this conversation now so that once they're in the position to make those kinds of choices, that they're equipped to do so, to make sure that they end up in a therapy, a relationship with a therapist, or in a position where they can ask certain questions to their healthcare providers so that they can be successful. I pray that they know that I'm here as a resource, that even though I'm not a therapist, I'm a person who has had experience with therapy, and I'm always here for prayer, encouragement, or a conversation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, although in this episode we're talking about therapists and therapy today, you know that you're not going to come to this podcast without some kind of Bible study. As always, there's an accompanying worksheet that can be found on the podcast website, which is www.mystrengthandmyshield.com. All one word, no spaces, no hyphens. There you can find a worksheet that will have the Bible verses for today, as well as the resources for our conversation later about finding a therapist or getting a good relationship with your therapist. One of the goals that I have with this podcast is doing my small part in dispelling the notion that being a Christian with mental health issues means that you're not a good Christian. It is a myth that you can just pray away mental illness. And it's a myth that depression and anxiety are signs that you're just not praying enough. It's a myth that seeing help with medication or counseling means that you're less of a Christian than anyone else. These are dangerous myths, and they're dangerous for several reasons. First, it's dangerous because this kind of language isolates people from God. It isolates people from the church. 
If a person feels like there are restrictions and requirements to be a Christian or feel like the goal is to be a perfect Christian, they will turn away from God. And if you are a person that is participating and telling people these myths, you are directly responsible for being a stumbling block between someone and their relationship with God. The second reason these kinds of myths are dangerous is because it limits and questions God's abilities. God works and heals in all kinds of ways. Sometimes God heals by miraculously eliminating physical and mental illness in an instant. Other times, God will bless us with an amazing therapist or a wonderful cocktail of medication to help us get through life. When someone says there's only one path to mental health and stability, you ignore the ways that God has had his hands in pushing society to have conversations and resources for people with mental illness. Finally, it's dangerous because it causes a wedge between people within the church. I often find that it's the saints, the older members of the church, that are quick to judge people who need mental health support. Many of them talk about how our generation is weak for needing help, and when they grew up, they didn't need any medication or a therapist. They just got through it. They just prayed and everything worked out. This generational wedge is something that I've observed often. And the thing is, these kinds of wedges are why some churches are failing to increase their membership and are dying off. Because making a gen younger generation feel like they are less than is the exact opposite of a way to get people into church. And in all honesty, I've talked to some older people who said that they just got through it and have come to the conclusion that they absolutely needed therapy and still do. They've had, you know, they didn't have the resources to get help, but that doesn't mean that they didn't need it. I have people in my family who suffered through poverty, physical abuse, sexual abuse, trauma, dark times, like general dark times, and devastating losses who've never dealt with these problems, never went to therapy, never got counseling, never worked through these issues. And then they say that they're okay. But you see how they are in life and you know 100% that they are not okay. They surely are not. Now the Bible encourages us to seek guidance and to take care of ourselves. So I wanna give you guys some verses that you should know that regardless of any, what anybody else says, that you can pray and seek God and also seek services and counsel when it comes to your mental health. So the Bible says in Proverbs 15 verse 22, without counsel plans fail, but with many advisors they succeed. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. This Bible verse is very simple, but it kind of is powerful because it shakes that idea that as a Christian, you have to do this all by yourself. In the word, it tells us that seeking advisors is a way to help our plans be successful. And when you think about the plans that we have for our life, the goals that we have, some of those goals are career oriented or they have to do with school. And some of it is just a plan to live a happier life. And here we find the word that tells us directly that seeking counsel with a plan helps to make it successful. So think of a therapist or a counselor as someone that helps you and advises you, especially the kind of counselor that I'll be looking for. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Excuse me, I'm a little thirsty. Give me a second. Sorry, a little bit parched. <laughs> but like I said, see a therapist not just as a medical professional, but as an advisor. And the Bible specifically tells us to seek advisors and to seek counsel. <clears throat> In Psalms 12, verse 12, it says, My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, this Bible verse in Psalm 12, 12 is important because you can change the way that you see the role that a therapist plays. People make it sound like going to therapy or going to counseling gets in the way of you pursuing a relationship with God or being a Christian or that kind of thing. But this Bible verse points out to us that God made everything. He made heaven, he made earth. So the help that we need can come from anything within heaven and earth. 
So God made you, he made me, and he also made therapists. He made medical professionals. He provided the means to help people get better. So it's, it's almost like, what, would you tell someone who's suffering from cancer not to seek a doctor or not to start chemo? No, because as much as God has blessed us in our natural form, he's also blessed us to be progressive in a society. We live in 2018 where there's so many resources that we have at our disposal. To not avail ourselves of those resources would be foolish. And this Bible verse right here tells us that our help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He made everything. So whatever is at your disposal, whatever is going to help you feel better, use it. In Matthew 7, verse 7, it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. I know that I've used this Bible verse in the past, but this is especially important in this case. As a person who's dealt with depression and anxiety, I understand what it's like to feel like you have to deal with this stuff on your own and to be embarrassed by the things that you're dealing with. I am here to tell you that every single person deals with depression. I don't care what the statistics say, that one in four, one in three, I don't care. Everybody can relate to an instance where they have felt like they needed help. Nobody's life is perfect. Even the most successful person may have a dark day. So what I'm trying to tell you is that get rid of the shame that makes you feel like you can't ask for help. I had a person write into me on Tumblr, and she talks about the fact that she sometimes gets really down because she's been suffering from depression and she's had suicidal thoughts, and it's, she feels like nobody is helping her out. Now, of course, I responded to her and, you know, I said, I'm sorry that you feel that way. And I encouraged her to get counseling, especially when you're dealing with something like suicidal thoughts or suicidal ideations. But that being said, it's also a part of reality and in life is that sometimes even when we need the most help, it's not going to be given to us. And that sucks. It sucks when you're at a point where you don't even have the energy to get out of bed and you just wish that someone would notice. I remember when I was going through depression and I was packing on the pounds and I felt so bad about where I was and I would just disappear. And I had family members that would comment on the fact that I've disappeared and you know they couldn't find me by phone and they would comment on my weight. And in my head, I'm like looking back now, I'm like, how did you guys not see that I was depressed? <laughs> You know, how did you not see? I wasn't taking care of myself. I was, you know, dejected. I was down. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to do anything that I wanted to do. How could you see me and not see that I'm depressed? You know, those are the things that we wish people would pay attention to, but that's not always possible. It's important that you take the energy and feel empowered to get help. And some of the reason we don't get help is because we feel ashamed. So I want to encourage you not to feel ashamed. Everybody feels that way. Everybody has those motions, and I want you to feel empowered to take care of yourself. Now, as we're seeking counsel, there are some things that I want you to be wary of, right? So Ephesians 6 verse 11 says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, you might be hearing this Bible verse and wondering, what does this even mean? I read this verse, and it kind of hit me because I want you to remember that, you know, you're seeking help, but you're still a Christian, right? So you want to be careful of getting a therapist or a counselor that doesn't acknowledge your faith, that challenges you on something that you know that is real. And the reason why I say this is not because I don't think that as a Christian, you should ever deal with someone that is a non-believer. That's not what I'm saying. I actually think it's a good thing to come against people who don't believe what you believe because it forces you to be able to articulate what you believe. Like, I think it's important, you know, the Bible tells us to seek wisdom and not to follow people blindly. So I would never just say, just, you know, be a Christian just because I said so or because the Bible says so. You need to understand your faith. You know what I'm saying? So that's not what I'm saying to say at all. I'm saying that when you're in a headspace where you're trying to take care of yourself, the last thing you need is someone trying to challenge your fundamental truth. That every time you go to therapy, it's someone who's, you know, telling you, well, you know God isn't real, right? Or prayer is not going to work. 
you need somebody that respects your choice. Now, there are Christian-based counselors and things like that. I'm not saying that you 100% need to get a therapist that is a Christian. In fact, that's not necessarily something that I've been looking for. I've never said I want a Christian therapist. But what has been important to me is that if I tell someone that it makes me feel good to pray or that it's important that I go to church, that I don't need someone pushing back on that. So be careful. You know, Keep on the armor of God and guard against you know this kind of idea, the ways that the devil tries to weave his way into your life and make you doubt yourself. You know your truth, and you have the knowledge to articulate that truth. And if not, you know, I've got 30 episodes of the podcast to help you out with that. But, you know, it's important that when you're in a spirit of wellness and seeking help, that you do what you have to do. And finally, in Ephesians 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The reason why I included this Bible verse is that, again, as a reminder that our goal is to seek Christ. And when I think about my mental health, it helps me to know that in order to take care of other people or the responsibilities that God has called me to do, in order to step into my purpose, I have to be okay. So if you're in a position where you're doubting yourself or you're feeling lost or you're, you're questioning your purpose, you know, obviously I want you to seek God for that kind of help. But if there's something that is stopping you from having meaningful relationships, from being successful at work or in school, there's nothing wrong with getting a counselor to help you out with that. So I want, when you're seeking a, a therapist or a counselor, remember that's no replacement for God. That doesn't mean you no longer have to do Bible study. That doesn't mean that you'll get all of your answers from a therapist because you still need to know who you are as a Christian, who you are as you stand in your faith so that if you're getting advice, mental health advice, that you know what to take and what to leave. You need to know what's going to work for you and what's not. You need to know what's going to go with your spirituality and what goes against it. So, you know, if I'm a person that values my walk and, you know, I'm having a conversation about how hard it is at work that I see other people who are getting promotions ahead of me, even though I work harder. And, you know, I tell the therapist that sometimes I feel like maybe I should go to my boss and tell them that my other coworkers and doing what they're supposed to do. And if I had a therapist that told me maybe do that, you know, maybe because they think that the other person should be held accountable, I would have problems with that because I would want someone to know, well, as a Christian, that's not what I believe. I don't need to be spreading gossip about people. I don't need to be sneaky and conniving to be successful. If I'm in a position where the only way that I can be successful is by lying or cheating or stealing, that's not a godly position to be in. And I would rather be at a job where I'm not making as much money as I should than to be making more money by sneaky means. So that's what I mean is like, even as you're seeking counsel, no matter it's a therapist or a friend or a family member, when you're getting advice or counsel from someone, you have to remember that you're a Christian. It's important that you know who you are so you have the lens by which to see this advice. So like I said, it extends. So if you have someone that's you know, giving you relationship advice, or maybe you're talking about you know, you're in a committed relationship but you've noticed that someone is cute and you know they've been flirting with you you don't need the friend that's like girl go ahead and flirt you know f your man no you don't need that you need someone that's like i understand that sometimes you can have that urge but i know that you're happy in this relationship and it it makes sense that sometimes your eyes wander but i want you to do something that's healthy for you and your spirit which is to be faithful and if your eye is wandering, then don't be in the relationship. You know, those are the kinds of things that you need. You don't need someone that's going to co-sign your bad habits. And sometimes a therapist can do that. They can just be a person that listens to what you're saying. And I'll talk about that a little bit more when I talk about, you know, why my past therapist and I didn't work is because they were just listening to what I said, but not giving me the tools to make my life better. So you need to know what a good life as a Christian looks like. You know that we're called to love. You know that we're called to seek God. You know that even though we're never going to be perfect, we should strive towards being an example of Christ's love for us. 
Those are fundamental truths. And any therapist that you go to or any advice that you get that strays from that purpose or that line of thinking is not going to be helpful for you, okay? So those are some of the things that I, you know, we're about to get into the conversation about specific, specifically therapy and things like that. But I, I did want to address some of those common um, stigmas or negative connotations to therapy and, and getting help with mental health. I wanted to remind you to keep that armor of Christ on you. So even as you're seeking help and you're trying to decide what kind of therapist is good for you, you know, make sure that you're taking the time to seek out someone that's going to help you even towards your spiritual growth. You can still work on your spiritual growth in a non-secular way. And excuse me, in a secular way. Even if your counselor isn't a Christian, you can know that the things that they're leading you towards is not necessarily leading you towards Christ. Okay, so now we're going to dive into the self-care portion of the podcast. And if you hear any background noise, uh, I've shared this on the podcast before. My family and I are currently living in a hotel. And so long story short, FEMA's working on our house and we are now in a hotel. We've been here since November 3rd. So that's made recording difficult. So if you hear any background noise, I apologize. I'm in the business center of the hotel. So that means people are coming in and out but I still wanted to get this podcast episode out to you. So just as a heads up, I apologize beyond my control, but that's not going to get in the way of the conversation that we need to have today. So I wanted to start this episode just talking about my experiences with therapy, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So the first time that I had to go to therapy, um, I guess my first exposure to therapy is number one, my mom is a social worker. So, um, you know, she herself is, has been involved in the mental health uh, community because that's a part of her job. Now, that doesn't mean that necessarily my mom had a firm understanding of some of the struggles that I, I went through. I do think that there were some blind spots where she didn't notice some of the struggles that I had. My mom is a person who loves me in a way that I really can't even imagine you know, loving somebody else. And maybe that's just a mother's love. So there were times where I was struggling, but my mom was just so encouraging um, that she didn't really see the problems that I was going through. Or another thing that I learned when I was in high school is that if I did well in my grades, that I could kind of mask some of the struggles that I was going through. So in high school, in college, I did well. Even in law school, I did well. But because um, it seemed like I had everything together, you know, I had scholarships or things like that. People just assumed that I was fine, and that became the mask that I wore. But I do think it, it created blind spots so that some of the people around me didn't realize that Nisi wasn't okay. So other than my mom um, being a, a social worker herself, um, which was helpful because it, it at least once I did tell her that I, I had some issues, it didn't, I didn't get too much pushback, although I still sometimes don't feel too supported um, about certain things. We'll get into that later. My first real experience was when I was um, in the sixth grade, I went to school and I was in, I went to Mark Twain, which is a specialized middle school um, where you have to test to get into. And I was one of the few black kids and I was having a lot of social issues and I was also being teased. So there was one day when I was being teased and I kind of like fought back and instead of trying to figure out what was wrong with me, you know what happened, you know, being the black kid, they assumed that I was the problem. So they immediately required me to go to therapy. That experience sucked because I felt like I didn't do anything wrong. I went to like two sessions. I didn't want to talk to anybody and it was useless. That was the first time that I kind of realized that therapy is a bad thing because it felt like punishment. So the next time that I felt like I wanted therapy, I was very hesitant to get it because I had that image in the back of my mind that like therapy is where you go to if something's wrong with you and it's punishment. Fast forward a little bit into the future. The next time that I had therapy was when I was in college. And in my school, you get, um, if you were under the health insurance plan, there were a certain amount of counseling sessions. So I went to the therapist when, or the counselor when I was in college, because I noticed that I was really packing on the weight. Like I know that there's a freshman 15, but I was getting to 30 pounds, 40 pounds, and I felt out of control. That doesn't mean that there weren't times that I just sporadically went to the gym. I was in the fitness center, but my eating was out of control. 
not going to get too much into it because I don't want to trigger anybody, but it's, it's, it was an issue. It was like a serious issue, not just eating a lot of food, but some of the things that I'm not going to get into. If you have any questions about um, disordered eating or things like that, um, you, can, you can message me and we can have that conversation later. Um, and I did say disordered eating, not eating disorder. And there's a distinction, okay? So anyway, I went to a therapist and I talked to her about my concern about my weight. And that therapist was a very large woman herself. Um, I want to say that she was pushing 400. Um, she, when she sat in a chair, she had to actually sit in two chairs. So she was a larger woman, okay? And which is not a problem. But what I, every time I would talk to her about my weight, she actually gave me this book that talked about. Um, you know, I forget the title of it, but it was like a very pro-fat book. It was like fat positivity before it was cool, okay? So I maybe if I read that book today, I would have a different appreciation for it. I felt like I was not being heard because the thing about it is that I've never been a person that struggled with self-esteem. One thing, I am my father's child. I don't have to wait for anybody to tell me I look good before you tell me I look good. I told you 12 times, told myself 12 times that I look good. Um, it's one of those things where like, there's been guys that I've dated who thought they were telling me that I was beautiful and I'd be like, and? <laughs> or like they expected me to be like, oh my gosh, he thinks I'm cute. I'd be like, okay, I know I'm cute, and? So a lot of the conversations, and she was a white woman, I felt like, she wasn't understanding that as there's a certain kind of confidence that I have, there's a certain amount of black girl cool that I have just by being a person from Brooklyn or being from Jamaica. There's a cockiness that was born and bred in me, okay? That doesn't mean I didn't have insecurities, but one of the things I didn't have was insecurities about my look. I knew I wanted to lose weight because it was a manifestation of my depression. Do you understand what I'm saying? That I came in a wanting to talk about essentially depression, didn't call it depression, wasn't diagnosed with depression, but I wanted her to talk to me about what was going on with me. The, the weight gain was a side effect. So to have this woman who was telling me, you should be happy being fat. And I was like, okay, you're missing the point. I don't want to lose weight because I hate myself. I want to lose weight because I don't feel like myself. And she wasn't giving me that. So I went to a couple of sessions. She wasn't listening to me. I felt like it was very much a one-sided conversation. And I think I had 10 sessions. I think I maybe went to four, and I stopped going. Um, you know, she called. You know, there were calls that she, you know, follow-up calls, like, are you coming back in and things like that. And I would just let it go to voicemail, which is not the best approach to have. And we'll talk about that later. But just didn't work for me. Fast forward, the next time that I tried to go to therapy, I was in law school. Um, it was my last year, my 3L year. I had accepted my position as a public defender. I knew that the job itself is very stressful. Being a public defender means high case loads, dealing with you know people who are poor, the people that need the most help, honestly, the people who are disenfranchised, you know, people of color, people with mental health issues. And I wanted to take care of myself. With my law school, I got eight free sessions. So there wasn't anything specifically that I wanted to deal with. Weight issues were still there, but I specifically didn't have any like issues. I had worked through a lot of issues. Now, mind you, while in law school, I did have some panic attacks. <laughs> we're not going to talk about that. But what I'm saying is I, when I walked into that office, it wasn't because I had had like a panic attack and needed help. It was a conscious decision that walking into this next chapter of my life, I wanted to deal with some stuff. I loved that therapist. She was, um, I think she was a, a student, but by the end of it, she had even shared with me that she was going to be accepting a position and she had talked to me like she wasn't going to be in New York but she was like let's keep in touch and she was just amazing like every week she would give me an assignment and then at the next uh, session we would talk about that and I felt like I could open and talk to her about anything she was a white woman and she was small like she was skinny but I could talk to her about being black or about being overweight and I didn't get pushback instead I got encouragement I got tools to deal with some of the feelings that I had and it was amazing um it's unfortunate that it was only eight sessions. It was unfortunate that it was through law school. But why it was important to me was that it helped me to see that that feeling of punishment or feeling like therapy doesn't help didn't stick. 
and that I still kept trying. And I found this woman and she was great and it gave me encouragement. After law school, I did try to find a therapist. At that point, I didn't have health insurance. Um, it was the months in between me studying for the bar and trying to get um, started with my job as an attorney. So in that in between, I didn't really have health insurance. I tried to go to a therapist at a local hospital. It was a terrible experience. I, it was just awful. Like the first, you know, going shopping for a therapist is very hard, especially when you're a person that's maybe dealing with trauma or um, th painful things are, as the source of the reason why you need therapy. Why? Because when you have your first initial session, you have to pour yourself out to someone. So it's hard to pour yourself out to someone, number one, not knowing if this person, if this is going to be a commitment. You know what I'm saying? Um, and then it was even harder at this point because the therapist that I was talking to wasn't going to be the therapist that I would eventually have. It was like an intake and then they would assign me somebody else. So I remember I went at like three o'clock in the afternoon. No, no, it was like two o'clock in the afternoon. I took a late, like it was late in the afternoon and oh, this must be, it must've been during my orientation. I'm lying. The time I knew it was before I started being an attorney and it was before my health insurance kicked in, but it was orientation. So I hadn't started work. I, I wasn't, um, I didn't pass the bar yet. Um, or I didn't get the results of passing the bar. I did pass the bar in the first try. But what I'm saying is there was a lapse where I didn't have health insurance. And it was terrible because I poured myself out. I cried. It was 2 o'clock, and I got back to you know work, and I felt exhausted. It was, it was, I almost felt embarrassed. I almost felt like people knew where I was coming from. Like Obviously, nobody could tell I was crying, and nobody could tell where I was coming from. But I felt like... It was, it was an emotional ordeal in and of itself, and obviously I didn't follow through with that. So lastly, the current therapist that I just finished with, um, and this slides into having this conversation about therapy in general. So I knew from the good experience I had in undergrad or in law school what to look for in a therapist. I knew that I needed someone that was supportive, that encouraged me, and that gave me assignments, someone that could help me with behavior, someone that gave me something tangible I could work with, that I didn't just want someone that I could talk to. I wanted someone that could help me. So one day I went out to brunch with one of my girlfriends. She's a public defender in Harlem, and we were casually talking, and she had mentioned that she started going to therapy. She mentioned that her therapist was a black woman. I've never had a black woman therapist. I've heard all these things about how important it is to get a black therapist. And I was like, this has got to be it. You know, let's go ahead. So I started with this, this person. Now, this doctor, she didn't really have availability. But when I mentioned that it was like a referral from a friend, she said, yes, we have space. The time that she had for me was 10 o'clock on a Thursday. 10 o'clock on a Thursday. 10 p.m. The reason why I point this out is number one, if anyone has a job, <laughs> what are Thursdays? Thursdays are a happy hour time, okay? So with my job, especially early on as a new attorney, you kind of expect it to be out there. That's how you mix and mingle with senior attorneys and things like that. So I think like the first two or three sessions I had, I had had a couple of drinks before. So maybe that changes. <laughs> I don't know why I shared that with you, but I think it's relevant because the first two or three sessions was just like a verbal diarrhea. I didn't really know too much about her other than my friend said she was great. So the first two or three sessions, it was like me letting her get to know me. I shared some of my issues, not really the deeper issues, but kind of like why I was here. I talked about my stressful life. Sometimes I talked about my relationship, things like that. And it was after the third session that I realized that I was doing a lot of talking, but she wasn't giving me any feedback. So then for the fourth session, I was like, okay, I, I knew that distinction and I tried to monitor what I was saying because I wanted to, like I w waited for if I gave a pause, would she fill that in with a, so how does that make you feel? So for the fourth session, I remember like I would talk and talk and talk and there'd be a gap and she would just look at me. And so I would just continue to talk, I don't know. Like by that time I, you know, I had gotten to the rhythm of, you know, I wouldn't drink before my session. So that wasn't the issue, but I was just more under, I was like, there's nothing going on. Then for the fifth session, it was a similar thing. The, no, the, the sixth session is when I made the conscious choice where I told her, I was like, this is an issue that I have and I want to talk to you about it. And we said that at the top of the, the um, session, but we got so distracted because like, I'm going to say this right now. She always wanted to talk about my relationship. I guess she thought, I think she thought it was fascinating. I think she was fascinated by the fact, you know, that we were both Christians, that we both were, um, 
celibate. Um, she had some questions about why we weren't engaged yet. And I kind of was sharing to her that, you know, we have that timing worked out. But she had some rule that, like, if you're not engaged after three years, that's a problem. And to me, that sounds like a Cosmo article. So I kind of was annoyed that we kept talking about this issue. Because for me, like, this is this choice between me and my boyfriend. So we, again, got sidetracked. By the seventh session, we would start talking. And she, I guess she, she started to talk about the fact that my mom and I are, are living in a hotel. And 15 minutes in, I'm like, okay, wait, wait, wait. Can we talk about that thing that I wanted to talk about? And we talked about it ad nauseum. And we started to go deeper into it. We started talking about things about my childhood. And after that session, I felt exhausted. Again, it was verbal diarrhea. We were talking about the things that I wanted to talk about. But again, wasn't getting the feedback, wasn't getting the tools that I wanted in order to be successful. So then with the final uh, time that I went to speak with her, um, again, we started to talk about the issues that I wanted to talk about, but I didn't really, I think I was at the, the final point. I think it really clicked to me that this wasn't going to be helpful to me because I realized that I'm not the kind of person that needs someone to talk to. Uh, a lot of my profession as an attorney requires me to talk to people constantly. I talk to my coworkers, I have friends, I have support systems and things like that. What I needed was someone that could give me a guided approach to talk about the specific issues that I had. So by the eighth session, I realized that it wasn't gonna work because you know, telling her that I needed help in this area wasn't sufficient. Um, verbal diarrhea, just talking about everything wasn't sufficient. I left my therapy sessions feeling drained um, with no, no idea. Like we would stir up all these old feelings and I wouldn't have anything to deal with those feelings. And that was really difficult because I felt like I was wasting my money. You know, therapy isn't free. And although my health insurance does give me, um, you know, through my HSA account, I'm able to pay for the, the therapy sessions without um, you know, I get reimbursed is the point that I'm trying to say. It's still the principle of it is like you're paying someone to help you and it just wasn't helping. So eventually I kind of just came to the decision that I needed to end it. And it was hard because I really wanted to give it the old college try because it was so important to me to find a therapist, to build a relationship. I wanted to make sure that I wasn't making a rash decision, that I wasn't walking away from her because I didn't feel like doing the work. In fact, it was the exact opposite. I was so excited to just dive into this work. I had the means to do so. I had the time. I was in the mental, the good mental state to deal with some of the things I wanted to deal with. Um, I wasn't coming at a time of crisis. So I wanted, I was eager to get that help. And she just wasn't that person for me. So um, I talked to uh, actually someone who's on, um, who's on Tumblr and talked to her. She's a therapist and talked to her about how do you end a relationship with a therapist. Um, the main means of communication outside of therapy with my therapist was text message. So I effectively, when she sent me a text about the next session, I simply sent her a text message. I said, um, thank you for all of your help. I'm no longer going to be you know, seeking you for counsel. And I thought that that would be the end of that. She did ask me why. So I did take a minute to think about it. I actually prayed about it, about like, okay, so how much detail do I need to go to? Because to be honest, it's not her fault, right? Like there's different types of therapy. And just because she wasn't what I needed doesn't mean she was a bad therapist. But I did decide to be honest. I did express that, you know, I came looking for help with my specific issues, with some of my childhood trauma, some of my um, disordered eating and things like that. And I felt like she wasn't giving it to me. And it was very frustrating to be coming in, you know, at 10 o'clock at night, on a Thursday, uh, and then especially at that point, because her her sessions were in Brooklyn, and the hotel where we're staying at is in Manhattan. So to trek all that time, you know, I felt like it was a waste of time. So I didn't want to waste her time. I didn't want to waste my own. I did express to her, um, you know, she did text me back, you know, um, good luck in the future. I'm sorry that it didn't work out, and that was that. So. That's my story about therapy. And the reason why I shared so much of it, I know that you know maybe you're coming to this podcast like, just give me the tips, woman. Why are you talking so much? The reason why I wanted to share all of that was to share with you that there are ups and downs. There's no way or I mean, some people get lucky. The first therapist they get is great. Some people have a, a really good relationship right off the bat. They know that this is what they want. Other people have maybe just had bad experiences with therapy that turns them off completely. So I'm a person that has had ups and downs with therapy. I've had some that have been really good, and I've had some that have been atrocious, um, ones that didn't listen to me or made me feel bad or just weren't what I needed. So I've had everything from the good, which is the one that I had when I was in law school, 
um, the bad being back when I was in middle school and, and feeling like it was punishment and, and trying to shake the idea that therapy is bad um, and seeing it now as an attorney as just a tool to, to get through the day. And I think it's important to take care of yourself. So I no longer have shame associated with wanting to go to therapy. So moving forward, here's the lessons that I learned from my experience with this most recent therapist. I look back and I think I knew what I should have done from the beginning. I should have walked into the first session like I did with the one when I was in law school and explicitly said what I'm looking for. The problem is that because I had heard that she was so good, I kind of just wanted to feel her out and I ended up wasting my own time. So from the beginning, I should have just been up front and been like, hey, I've had a couple of therapy sessions. I kind of know what works for me. So I would encourage you, if you're looking for a therapist or if you're considering it, to do some kind of research. I'm currently in the process of finding a new therapist. I at first didn't want to end my old relationship before starting a new one um, or finding someone to go to because I didn't want to lapse. But I, like I said, I did feel like I was wasting my time. So I did just go ahead and end that relationship. But I'm going to call it relationship because you build a relationship with your therapist, right? Um, one of the things that I'm going to be doing moving forward, so number one, I encourage you to be educated on the situation, learn about the different therapies, think for yourself about maybe the kind of support that you need. The second thing is that phone consultations are valuable. Uh, what I've learned, and it's a resource that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to link on the website, um, it's www.therapyforblackgirls. It's specifically a resource for black women who are seeking therapy, and a lot of the therapists that are on there are other black women, which I find to be very powerful because obviously, you know, in terms of diversity and things like that, you kind of look at the draw of whether or not you're going to get a black therapist. Even if, I mean, that doesn't have to be a goal that you have. Like I said, every other therapist that I've had has been white. Um, and the one that I had in law school that I had a good relationship with, she was, she was a white woman. But the reason why the relationship was good was because I was able to talk about my experiences as a black woman without judgment. So if you've found that there are times when you've tried a therapist and they haven't gotten you, um, it might be time, you know, if you're a black girl, to maybe look for a therapist that kind of you can relate to. So I've been going to www.therapyforblackgirls. It's been a great resource. I'm in the process of calling different therapists. And one of the things that you can do is you can schedule a free phone consultation. And if, I guess I just never did it before because, you know, all my other therapists were assigned to me through school. So I guess it never dawned on me to just have a chat with the therapist before actually meeting with them. So that's something that I have been doing. Um, I've left a couple of voicemails. I'm waiting for a call back. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, almost like online dating. <laughs> you look at their profile, you see what they do, their specialties, you find out their price. Um, you know, you call because I want to see if they take my insurance. I also want to talk to them about my specific problems. Because one of the things I didn't mention, and again, this is a lesson in red flags. Like, you'll get red flags from romantic relationships and professional relationships and even relationships with your therapist because there was a time when we first started talking about the issues that I wanted to dive into and she said to me that I might need a specialist and my stubbornness was I don't want a specialist I've worked on this relationship I don't want to go anywhere I should have at that point found someone that could help me with my specific issues at that point, I really did think that the issue was that I hadn't given it enough time, that I hadn't spent enough time building a relationship with this person, and what I should have done was trust my instinct. What I should have done is realize that I needed somebody different, and she couldn't provide me with the help that I needed. So that's a lesson to you. Trust your instincts. You know what works for you. You know what will be a good relationship with a therapist. You know what you need, um, especially if you have done like a phone consultation or done your research. You, you know better than anybody else the kind of support that you need. So I encourage you to trust that gut feeling. So when it was time for me to do my own research and to actually figure out what is the kind of therapy that I needed, I know that in the past I was just assigned people and I just wanted to now make that conscious choice to pick someone. Uh, if you go on the website, like I said, I do provide some links for you. So I did go to Psychology Today and they had a whole list of different kinds of therapies. I mean, 
all kinds of therapy that I would have never even thought of. So it's really great because they have links that you can click and it will take you to a page that explains what the kind of therapy is. Um, things like cognitive behavioral therapy, group therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, and interpersonal therapy. Those are the ones that I'll be talking about, but they have everything in, in between. I also have a link to a Huffington Post article about some of the most common therapies, so I'm gonna talk about that a little bit today. I'm gonna mispronounce because I'm not a therapist, but I still think it's important because when you hear about the different kinds of therapies and the, the ways that it's helpful, it might spark in you that if you're dealing with XYZ issue, this might be the kind of therapy that you're looking for. So there's psychodynamic therapy, and that's all about the patient talking. And I think that's what the kind of therapist that I had was. It's good for people who don't feel heard and just wanna figure their minds out. So this is more of a stream of consciousness talking about things. Even though it didn't work for me, I know that there are people who maybe don't feel supported or don't feel heard, and sometimes it's good to just have that person that's listening and to have them nodding. So if you're a person that maybe has a lot of thoughts going on in their head or you don't really have a good support system of family or friends, um, psychodynamic therapy might be exactly what you need. The next thing is cognitive behavioral therapy, and this is based on the idea that we can make permanent changes in the way that we behave by shifting our negative patterns or thinking. Uh, of thinking. And again, all of this is, you know, paraphrased from the Huffington Post article. Just want to give that citation. Um, and the link will be on the website. This is good for people with eating disorders, anxiety, phobias, mood disorders. And these sessions can often feel more business-like and results in some kind of, sometimes some kind of homework that you need to do. This is the kind of therapy that I think that I need, especially because I'm a person that's very in tune with my emotions and in tune with my spirituality. So I can tell you an argument that I'm having with my boyfriend today is connected to such and such date when I had an argument with my dad. Like I have that kind of awareness, but what I need to do is to, how to take that awareness and put it into constructive ways to deal with things like my stress or like some of the other, you know, deal like finally dealing with some of the trauma that I need to work through. So, um, you know, which is different than someone that needs to discover the trauma. It's like, for me, I know it's there, um, you know, and that's the stuff that I have to deal with. The other kind is group therapy. This is a supporting group setting with other people who are struggling with the same or similar things. This is good for things like addiction, trauma, grief. This is good for people that need to know that they're not alone, and especially dealing with things like addiction, trauma, and grief. It's sometimes good to hear how other people have dealt with these issues so you know that you're not alone. Another one is dialectical behavioral therapy, and this helps individuals understand their thoughts and behaviors, and they identify it as out of the ordinary and extreme. And then they learn good coping and interpersonal skills that allow them to feel more measured or a moderate way of reacting. So this is good for people who have borderline personality disorder, mood disorders, have dealt with trauma or obsessive compulsive disorder. They identify the behavior, see that this is extreme, and instead of just eliminating, maybe they find more alt, um, moderate alternative behaviors to deal with these things. Then the final one that I'll talk about is interpersonal therapy. This focuses on the individual's relationships and how the individual relates to and communicates with partners, friends, family, and other. This is good for people who are struggling with depression, who have maybe been in a fog and have realized that they're not really good at having conversations or building relationships or things like that. So the reason why I'm showing you not only just telling you that there are different kinds of therapies, but how it helps specific kinds of people is that if anything sticks out to you as maybe something you've been struggling with and maybe you've had bad experiences with the therapist, it might be because you didn't know the kind of therapy that you needed. It might have been because you didn't recognize that um, you've been going to cognitive behavioral therapy, but what you really need is with dialectical behavioral therapy. Or maybe you've done the one-on-one -on -one thing and what you really need is group therapy. Or maybe you've had a therapist that is very regimented and gives you homework and you hate that. And what you really need is more of a stream of consciousness, a psychodynamic therapy. These are the things that I want you to be equipped with. Like I said, we're online all the time. As you're hearing me talk, maybe is even as you're listening to this podcast, do some research. And if you're on your phone, Google the different kinds of therapies that you can have. Because with anything, it's not just about getting the help, it's getting the right kind of help. You have to know what you need, what your mind needs, what's gonna be most helpful to you. And it's okay if you don't know what that is. What you can do if you have a therapist and you're doing the phone consultation, you can say, I don't really know what kind of therapy I'm looking for, what do you know how to do? And would you be able to help me? 
this is the conversation that I should have had, and I want you to learn from Nisi's mistake. Uh, I want you to empower yourself to either come with the information of knowing what you want or feeling confident enough to just ask, can you help me? I think that this is great because it avoids, you know, that feeling of, oh, I should have just asked in the beginning. Now, you can have that conversation, the phone consultation, and things be great, and then it still doesn't work out. That's life. You know, with any relationship, you can have the best of intentions, and it still doesn't work out. And I think that that's kind of where I was as well. Of course, I didn't ask the right questions at the beginning, and that's a little bit of ignorance on my part. I probably should have done a little bit more research. Um, I will say that is that is my fault. Because like I said, not that she, wasn't a, she was a bad therapist. She just wasn't the therapist that I needed. So I hope that just hearing about my experiences with therapy can either ring true to you. Maybe you've had the ups and downs of therapy before. Maybe you haven't had therapy and you want to know what to expect. And what I will say is that therapy, it's, it is a relationship that you're building with a therapist. You want to be with someone that you can trust. You want to be with someone that is helping you. And one of the reasons that I realized that this therapy wasn't helping me is that I left each session feeling exhausted and then I, I didn't feel uplifted. There was nothing about my therapy session that made me feel like, whew, that was an hour well spent. I want you to feel like I'm making the right choice. I want you to feel like I'm doing whatever I can to put myself in the best position to be successful. That is my theme. I say that all the time, that life is not about making right or wrong choices. It's just about doing what you can right now to put yourself in the best position for success. I think about that when I think about my career in school. I think about that with my faith and my religion. And I do think about that when it comes to my mental health as well. So I hope all of those things help. Check out Therapy for Black Girls if you're a black girl looking for another black therapist or someone that can. Um, the ones that I saw, because I'm in New York, all of the ones I saw, they were all black women. I don't know if maybe in other areas there are people of color that maybe just understand or are able to talk to you as a black person. But you know, do your research. Make sure you do more research on the therapists themselves. You want to make sure their degrees are from reputable places. You want to make sure um, that you understand the difference between a counselor, a therapist, um, a psychiatrist, and a psychologist. Um, and there are distinctions in terms of whether or not they can prescribe medication. There's also distinctions on you know sometimes a counselor is a social worker or a therapist. You know, like there's different certifications. I'm just saying the same thing I said at the top of the show with doing research, invest in yourself. We're in this age where more and more people are talking about their mental health. And I want you to feel empowered to take care of yourself. The shame is dissipating. There's always going to be people that make you feel bad for needing help. But if you have no one else in your life that's telling you it's okay, you have me. And I'm telling you it's okay. I'm a person that's still trying to figure things out. I'm, I'm a person at the end of the day. I strive to be happy, I strive to be loving, and I still have some things that I'm working out. And I'm trying to put myself in the best position to be successful. And I just want you to do the same, beloved. part of the podcast and this episode is running long it's probably one of the longest episodes I've done so I apologize for the length but I told you at the top of the show that this is very on time for me so maybe I'm talking so much because it's so relevant but I did want to stop or end the episode with a question that was written into me to my tumblr if you have questions that you'd like to be answered on the podcast um, you can find me at uh, yourbigsisnisi.tumblr.com or you could um, message me or send me an email to strengthandshieldpodcast at gmail.com, all one word. Always keep your identity. I'm always going to be keep it anonymous. And I, if you email me, you have a better chance of the question actually making it to the podcast, okay? So the question that I have is, any thoughts on being depressed while dating? I'm currently struggling with a lot of personal issues, and sometimes I just don't feel happy. Having a boyfriend makes me feel so bad, like I don't want to weigh him down with my problems, but he always asks what's wrong and wants me to say. I feel like he'll think I'm a weak woman and leave me. He's so bubbly and happy, and sometimes I feel like this too, I feel like this too, so I can give him back that energy, but other times I just don't, and I feel horrible. I still try though. Um, I'm going to read to you the response that I sent her on Tumblr and then talk a little bit more. 
The thing about it is that if you cannot, you know, you can't be in a relationship by yourself. And if you can't be healthy or honest in a relationship and you can't be yourself in a relationship, then it's not healthy. If you are depressed and in a relationship, you do have a responsibility to take care of yourself because your partner isn't your therapist or your cure for your depression. However, you should be able to talk and share your depression. My boyfriend and I have both suffered from depression, and although my guy is one of the happiest and outgoing people I know, he still has had his struggles. Assuming your boyfriend has never been depressed is idolizing him in a way that isn't healthy. I think you'd be surprised that if you talk to him about your depression, it would help him share some of the struggles that he's had. I know it's a blessing to be able to share with my guy my struggles and hear about his. And even talking to him about when I've gone to therapy and him talking to me about when he's gone makes me feel like I'm not alone. You should be honest about how you feel. It's important to allow the person you love to love you in a way that makes you feel supported. Don't seek to be perfect in your relationship. It should be the one place where you could be yourself. And being honest about your mental health is a part of that. It's also helpful because when you need space or when you need help in a relationship, you can communicate that as well. So that's the response that I gave. And the message that I have for anybody that's listening to this podcast, it is absolutely 100% possible to be in a relationship and to sometimes have mental health struggles. My response to this question is in no way saying, well, you just need to get your shit together. Oh, you need to get your stuff together. <laughs> Excuse my French. What I'm saying is that's not what I'm saying. So technically, you know, I'm not trying to tell you to get your ish together. I'm trying to tell you that I want you to take care of yourself and I want you to let go of the idea that you're the only person dealing with this or that you're bringing your boyfriend down. The reason why I say that is because if you want to be in a relationship that's healthy, there has to be honesty and there has to be reciprocity. And one of the biggest mistakes that you can make is trying to pretend that you're perfect in your relationship. I see my relationship as an escape from the world. So there are times when, as an attorney, I have to seem that I have it all together. I can't come into work crying, even on days when I want to. And, I, and trust me, there have been days when I'm dealing with outside stuff and I've had to lock myself in my office and cry and just make sure that nobody else saw me. Um, there's times where I have to put on a good face. Like I said, with the stuff going on with my mom and I being displaced right now, I have to show that I'm okay, even though there are days where I'm just like, I just want to go home. I want FEMA to be done. So the one place that I can be myself is with my boyfriend. The one place that I can be silly or sad or stupid or, or crazy, that's when I'm with him. So if you find yourself still trying to pretend that you have it okay or feeling like you're a burden to somebody else, you have to recognize that that's not a relationship. That's a performance. It's a performance. And you have to ask yourself, why are you in a relationship? Because if you're in a relationship just because you don't want to be alone, that's not healthy. If you're in a relationship because you want to be honest and you want to share and you want to have a space to be vulnerable, then you have to be vulnerable and you bring up a wall. So even if you love somebody, you can love them with your whole heart, you can prevent a deeper love or a deeper understanding because you're not allowing yourselves to have a deeper conversation. So I would encourage you, if you're someone that's in a relationship and you're dealing with mental health issues, it's important that you share that. The reason why it's important is number one, you need to be able to be open and vulnerable and honest. Number two, you want to make sure that your partner knows that, like, let's say if you are dealing with depression, if you need space, you want to not let them know that it's because you're dealing with depression and not because something's wrong with them. Because it's, it's very common for people to internalize other people's behavior. So if you leave your partner in the dark, he could be sitting there like, what did I do wrong? Why does she want space for me? If it's, it's better for you to say, I'm really stressed out with work and I just need some time. Telling someone that you need space or telling someone that you need time is an important way to establish boundaries. It's an important way to establish communication. So if you need that time, take it. But you have to communicate that, okay? Um, the other thing is, like I said, 
you might have somebody who also has struggles with depression or has struggled with depression. Just because someone is happy right now doesn't mean that they've never had a hard life. I think that depression causes you to feel like you're the only person dealing with this, and it's just not true. You're not the only person that's struggling, and that's not a way to dismiss it. That should be encouraging to you, that you should feel like I can mention that I'm depressed um, without someone looking at me like I'm ridiculous. The other reason why it's important that you bring up your mental health is you need to know that you're with a partner that can handle it. So if you express that you're dealing with depression or anxiety or that you have bipolar disorder or borderline personality disorder and you're with somebody that can't handle it, you need to know that. You need to know that this is not going to be a healthy relationship if every time you're down, they talk, they throw the fact that you've dealt with depression in your face. Or if you're having an argument or you want to talk about something, if they say something like, go talk to your therapist. That's a sign that you're not in the right place. I think it's been a real blessing to be able to talk to my boyfriend about my struggles. There's been times when I've asked him, how was your day? And he said, my anxiety is really acting up today. And it's refreshing because I don't feel like I'm alone. And it feels like I have that support system. And for the person that wrote in to me with this question, I want that for you. I don't want you to feel isolated. I don't want you to feel like you have to perform or you have to be perfect. That's not what a relationship is for. You, this is not a performance. You want love and support. And if, you, if it is just a, support, a performance and you're just in a relationship to be in a relationship, then you might want to take some, step, uh, you know, some time away to really determine, should I be in a relationship right now or is the best thing for me to do to take some time apart and to work on myself? So I hope that helps. So that's it for this episode. If you've stuck all the way to the end, God bless you. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Again, I apologize for the quality it might of the this episode. There might be some choppiness because of the editing, because I did have people coming in and out of the business center. But this topic is so on time for me. I, I definitely wanted to get it out to you. And so I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. If you have any questions specifically about the journey to finding a therapist, about more questions to ask a therapist, uh, feel free to message me, email me. We can talk and we can have this conversation. I can help the best way that I can. Um, you can also listen to the very first episode of this podcast, which was on talking to God and a therapist. And that was my inaugural episode because it was so important to me to shake the idea that going to therapy is a bad thing as a Christian. So I hope this episode has helped. If there's anyone else that you think would benefit from this conversation, share. Um, you can also follow this podcast on our several social media outlets. Uh, like I said, my Tumblr is your big sis Nisi, so it's y o u r b i g s i s n i s s i dot tumblr dot com. You can always send me a message there. You can email me at strength and shield podcast at gmail.com you can follow me on instagram which is at my strength and my shield all one word and you can also follow on twitter which is msms podcast so thank you for listening all the way to the end i'm really excited to be back in the groove of releasing episodes there's a lot of good things that are in store for this podcast and for you in this new year so until the next episode take care of yourself beloved